Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. On Wednesday night, I began a little brief two-part series, which we'll conclude this morning, on the bride and the kingdom. On Wednesday night, we talked about the bride of Christ, that the bride is sought and bought at a great price and beautified with gifts, the imposition, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the disposition of the gifts. And then fourth, that the bride is brought into an, a share of an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, sought, bought, beautified, and received in glory. That's the bride. Now, this morning, we'll conclude that series by talking about the kingdom. There's hardly a chapter in the entire Bible that makes you more aware of the kingdom's realities than Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn there to Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading at verse 24. Matthew 13 is a is like a pearl necklace. It's just one parable after another strung together to make a beautiful necklace revealing insights into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to skip over the first parable, not for any reason except brevity of time, and it's and the fact that everyone in here knows it so well. It's the parable of the sower and the soils, the different kinds of soil. But I'm going to skip that, and we'll start with verse 24. Now, what I want you to watch for as I read is how many times it says, and another parable spoke he, and yet again he said, and another parable he told them. So that over and over again, it's just one parable right after another. We'll begin with verse 24. Another parable put he forth, he, that is Jesus, of course, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, there there appeared also tares. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From where then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches of it. Another parable spoke he unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spoke Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spoke he not unto them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now skip to verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy of it goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchantman seeking fine pearls, 
who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was gathered, that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the age. The angels shall come forth and separate the wicked from among the righteous and shall cast them into the furnace of fire and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? And they say unto him, Yea, Lord. We thank God for his word. When I was a kid growing up, I wasn't brought up in a particularly religious home, but when we went to church, we went to a variety of little Methodist churches. And of all the things that happened in those little Methodist churches, what I liked the best was Sunday night church. It just seemed more familiar, more uh, accessible, and, and I really enjoyed it, except one Sunday night, about once a year, maybe every other year, our pastor would return from his regular trek to the Holy Land. And when he came home, we always had to sit through his interminable slideshow of Israel. I deeply resented this. I wonder if anybody here can remember when they had slide projectors, had the, the rotating canister on top. Do you remember that? And it would change and the slide would drop in before the projector and cast it up. You had a long cord with a clicker on it so you could stand off to the side with a microphone and show the slide and click. The canister would turn and would drop in. Anybody remember this at all? And have you ever noticed that anybody that gives slideshows, they're never content to give you one slide of anything. They just show it over and over and over and over again from different angles. So I can remember the pastor saying, this is the Dome of the Rock. Click, click. This is the back of the Dome of the Rock. Click, click. This is the side of the Dome of the Rock. Click, click. This is the aerial view of the Dome of the Rock. Click, click. Is my mother-in-law in front of the Dome of the Rock. <laughs> See if you can tell which is which. And then, <laughs> until finally, you just wanted to cry out and say, we got it. We got it. It's the Dome of the Rock. Could we move on? <laughs> Matthew chapter 13 always makes me think of Jesus doing a slideshow of the kingdom of heaven. I can almost see him standing there saying, this is the kingdom of heaven. Click, click. This is the aerial view. <laughs> Until finally, you see that he says in that last verse, do you get it? You understand this? And you can hear the disciples say, yay, Lord, the kingdom of heaven. But the problem is, that in all of those parables, there are such great truths about the kingdom of heaven that often lay on the floor and we miss them. I, I cannot possibly, in this brief time, give you an exhaustive treatise on the kingdom of heaven. I just want to lift up to you some of the, some of the realities of the kingdom of heaven. First of all, the first is the most obvious. It's, it's one of those things that can hide in plain sight. Have you ever noticed there are things that are the most obvious, the simplest, the truest, but because they're so obvious, people miss them. I remember when I was in college at the University of Maryland, right at the uh, end of the Civil War, there was a, 
a class in psychology that I took, and the teacher was going to give us all a lesson on observational psychology. She had a photograph of which she had made enough copies for everyone in the class, and she handed them out. And she said, now I want you to look at that photograph and tell me what you see. I want you to open your eyes and with your powers of observation, tell me what you hold in your hand. And we wanted to please. I remember all the creative answers as we stretched from one answer to another. I remember it was a picture of a man. And he had a kind of a hat cocked down with the, the brim of his hat cocked down over one eye. So we stretched. Oh, this is a, a sad man. No, oh, she's a, he's an angry man. No, he's, he's deceptive. He's got his hat pulled down to try to hide something. He's a dangerous man. All these finally, she said, no, can't anybody tell me what you have there? Finally, one little girl in the back row, she said, I think I know. It's a photograph. The teacher said, yes, it's a photograph. All I asked you was, what are you holding in your hand? It's a photograph. Sometimes we make up so much stuff that we can't see what's obvious. What is the most obvious, patently obvious, and clearest truth about the kingdom of heaven? The first thing is, it's a kingdom. It's not a republic. It's not a democracy. It's not a corporation. It's a kingdom. Now, here's the funny thing about kingdoms. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And you can't have a kingdom with more than one king. If you've got more than one king, you don't have a kingdom. You have a civil war. We live in a republic. And I'm right in the middle of that. I, I believe in that. One man, one vote. Don't tread on me Pry my cold, dead fingers off of my gun. I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm right on that in, in terms of a republic. The only thing is the kingdom of heaven is not a republic. It's a kingdom. It's important for us to remember there are a lot of things that God can decide without us voting on it. Now you can vote. Go ahead and vote, God says. He says, I'm not counting. He said, well, there are 150,000 votes against me. I win. God is a king. He's the Lord, the sovereign, omnipotent emperor of all things. He is unquestioned king. And here's the thing about the will of God, too. The will of God is not hints for happy living. He expects to be obeyed. But now here's the second thing about the kingdom of heaven. Not only is the will of, is the, the will of God to be obeyed, because he is a good king, his will is a good will. I, I remember many years ago, I was still pastoring in the Methodist church and I was struggling with the decision to resign my church and launch out into the itinerant ministry, into traveling and speaking and preaching and the, the traveling ministry as a missionary evangelist. I went to the, the, a conference where the late Dr. Tommy Tyson was speaking. And after that conference, just a few of us, five or six preachers, we were in Dr. Tyson's room and we were all just sharing about the service, the people that had been filled with the Spirit. And, and I felt it was the time for me to share that. And I just said to those guys, I said, you know, I feel like the Lord is calling me into being a, into missionary evangelism. And I'm just fighting him every step of the way. I just feel like he's pulling me and I don't want to do this. I don't know if any of you knew Dr. Tommy Tyson, but he was one eccentric servant of the Lord. He was a great, uh, healthy man and... <laughs> And he had a, an odd laugh, an unusual eccentric laugh. He laughed right up in his throat. So when he laughed, he'd go, <laughs> like that. 
And he always called me little buddy. So I said, I'm fighting the Lord on this. He's just calling me and calling me. I know it's his will, but I just don't want to go. And Dr. Tyson put his hands on his tummy like Santa Claus. And he said, <laughs> he said, well, you're lying, little buddy. I said, Dr. Tyson, what a thing for you to say. Oh, he said, you're not lying to us. You're lying to yourself. He said, you want to do this so bad you can taste it. And you keep saying you don't want to. I said, okay, let's just assume that's right. Why would I do that? He said, because you're like all the rest of us. You think the will of God is like medicine. Unless it tastes bad, it isn't doing you any good. But he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. His will for you is good because he's a good king. So the kingdom of heaven is, first of all, a kingdom, and it's a kingdom with a good and powerful and mighty and faithful king. Now, the second thing is this. It is a kingdom that is expanding all the time. The kingdom of heaven is not sitting still. It is growing. Listen to every one of those parables. It's, it's growing. It's constantly growing. New plants, new ideas, new people. It's very important for us to realize we're not the only thing in the kingdom. This is a great church. I love this church. I love being here. I love being a part of the preaching team. I love this. But it's important for us to remember. But it's important for us to remember we're not the only thing going in the kingdom of heaven. Right now, our beloved pastor is off in Houston helping a little church. <laughs> They're struggling. They're struggling. And he has stood aside from our grace to go there and help Pastor Osteen out. I'm grateful for a pastor with a kingdom vision. There are other things going on. It's important for institutions, organizations, ministries, and churches to remember that God has servants that you know not of. There are little people doing mighty things for the kingdom of heaven all over the world, and they're part of God's kingdom, and they're part of his expansion. The kingdom is growing all the time. Furthermore, as the kingdom grows and expands, now listen to this. This is a hard truth. As the kingdom grows and expands, Satan also is not sitting still. He is doing everything he can to constantly corrupt and pollute. He is adding into that kingdom. Remember the parable about the woman who puts three measures of yeast into, of leaven into the, into the bread? That, that parable has been misstated and miscommunicated by so many. There is no place in scripture where leaven is used for a symbol of anything except sin. So therefore, what God is saying to us is, as the kingdom grows and expands, it is mixed. The cast net that's thrown into the sea, the fish of every kind are brought in. You throw a cast net into the sea, you drag in good fish, but you're going to drag in some crazy looking fish. Look, there's some crazy looking fish in the body of Christ. There are fish that are so flat and narrow, they got both their eyes on the same side of their head. <laughs> to show them anything real, you got to sneak up on them. You bring in a few nice edible fish, you're going to get some piranhas. You're going to get some man-eating sharks. You're going, to, you're going to bring in all kinds of fish. They're all there. 
I, I, I've spent my life with young people and I love them. I love their energy and their enthusiasm and their, their delight. They delight me. I spent 50, more than 15 years as a university president. I've been a youth pastor, a youth evangelist. I love young people, but every now and again, I'm amused at their naivete when they finally stumble on a truth that they alone have discovered. Every now and again, when I was a university president, one of our kids would go home for the weekend and some disillusioning thing had happened in their church back home and they'd come back to me with this shocked look on their face. Dr. Rutland, Dr. Rutland, there's sin in the church. <gasps> oh my, none of the rest of us have ever seen that before. We need to understand that there is sin in the church. It is a mixed reality. We put the cast net in, but listen to this. You don't clean the fish before you get them in the boat. You just cast a net, bring them all in, and at the end of things, God will sort it all out. Don't you, don't you see what that means? Don't you see what that means? That means that you are excused from the responsibility of judging what's real and what's false. God says, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. It doesn't mean you're excused from discernment. It doesn't mean you're excused from discerning the spirit. It means that you are excused from judging other people's experience with God. You don't know what God's doing. You don't know how he's working. You don't know what he's accomplishing in their lives. One of my great friends who had a tremendous influence on me, who the, the reason that I started writing books was because of this friend, Jamie Buckingham. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but he was a joyful and jolly servant of the Lord. And nobody could tell a story like Jamie Buckingham. In fact, Jamie's wife used to say, I don't like to travel with Jamie because I just want to wait for him to come home and tell me the stories of what happened to us. Because he said, she said, the stories he tells are better than the way I remember it. <laughs> Jamie told me one time that he was in a, a, a very remote uh, area of Africa and he was on a, a, an absolute trail out in the deep forest. And he said he came around a bend in that trail and came face to face with a local man who was completely stitched stark naked, except for a T-shirt, which obviously somebody had gotten to him from the United States. Naked, except for a T-shirt. And the T-shirt said, please be patient with me. God is not finished yet. <laughs> Every single one of us could wear that T-shirt. I recommend that you wear something else too, but you could wear the T-shirt. God is still working on us, and he's working in the church, and we know that it is mixed. Tragic things happen. People fall. People fail. People make mistakes. We all have, but God is still working and moving us toward the time. At the end of everything, the angels will sort it out. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability. You don't have the wisdom. You are not a sorter. You're a searcher. Let the angels do the sorting. Now, what about the damage that's done in the meantime? What about the damage that's done in the meantime? Remember the parable about the mustard? The mustard seed is planted and it becomes a great bush so big and so powerful that the birds can come and roost in its branches. I've heard that taught as a positive parable. Isn't it good that the church can be so great that the birds can come? It's a very negative reality. 
How many of you have ever had swallows roost in the, uh, in the front of your door? Then you know that the contribution of the birds is not that great. <laughs> the church will always have birds in the branches. The only thing they contribute is pollution. They cause problems. They're not of the tree. They're not the fruit of the tree. And they don't really help the tree. I suppose in some indirect way they might. But the fact of the matter is the church has to be big enough for all the birds in the branches. And we welcome them in the meantime. And the damage and pollution that gets done, God will take care of it. We go on growing and expanding and casting the net. Put your net in deep. Put your net in deep. Drag them all in. God will sort them out. God will sort them out. Next, the kingdom is not visible to human eyes. The kingdom is not visible. What we are here, the church is not precisely the kingdom of heaven. It is an earthly and visible manifestation, a work of the kingdom of heaven. But it's not precisely the kingdom of heaven. I remember many years ago, I wonder if there's anybody here old enough to remember trading stamps. Does anybody remember that? Where did trading stamps go? But there used to be gold stamps, I think they were called. The biggest ones were S&H green stamps. Does anybody remember S&H green stamps? My wife was saved S&H green stamps religiously. You had pages, little books you got, and you pasted them in and filled all the pages. One Saturday... I had a Saturday off. I had just settled in on the sofa in the den to watch some religious broadcasting. I believe it was the University of Texas Longhorns and the Purdue Boilermakers, if I remember right. And Texas was kicking them up and down the field, hook them horns. And I was enjoying this. And my wife came and said, I need you to take me to the SNH store. I want to redeem a lamp. I said, oh, baby, I'm watching the prayer meeting here. The, the Longhorns, honey, she was insistent and reminded me that the reason we needed a lamp was because a friend of mine and I had been horsing around and throwing a football in the house and broke her other ugly lamp. Uh, lamp. <laughs> and we needed to go to the S&H store and get another ugly lamp to replace that. So I went with her, and I was joyful and happy and, and cooperative in my spirit. I was grumpy about it. I didn't waste a Saturday going to get a lamp. Pulled up in front of the S&H store, and the sign across the top said, Redemption Center. And I said, baby, you didn't tell me it was a church. That is exactly what a church that sees itself, a church that sees itself as a kingdom church is a redemption center. It, it is not the kingdom itself, but it's where the redemptive grace of God is operative in a local environment. It's right here where we take old ugly lamps and turn them into something beautiful. This is exactly the place. You're in the right place. The kingdom is not visible to human eyes. It's operative. It's working. So you can't see a church and say, there's the kingdom. But you see, there's a church, and that's a redemption center of the invisible kingdom that's operating beyond what we can see. The next thing is, not only is that church, is that kingdom not quite visible to human eyes, it's also operative inside lives that we can't see. 
Remember the two parables, the pearl of great price and the treasure buried in the field? Those are extremely important. The pearl of great price says there was a merchantman who was going through the, the markets of the world searching for a one pearl of great price. And when he findeth it, he goeth and selleth all that he had and buys that pearl. I know that in classical traditional hymnology and in, in religious poetry, often Jesus is referred to as the pearl of great price. And I like that. He is a pearl of great price, but it doesn't have anything to do with this parable. In this parable, Jesus is not the pearl of great price. You weren't searching for Jesus. He was searching for you. You weren't prowling through the markets and the flesh pots of, Amer of the world looking for Jesus. He was walking through them looking for you. You didn't sell anything to purchase him. He bankrupted heaven to purchase you. So what does that mean? What does that mean? On Wednesday night, we realized you are the bride of Christ. You are sought for. You're bought with a great price. You're adorned and beautified with the gifts of the Spirit. And at the end of all things, you'll be received into glory to share His inheritance. But what about as in the kingdom? It means that you, listen to this, you need to hear this, you are a pearl of great price. No one else may value you. No one else may see the, the beauty that is you. You may not, you may not even see it your own self, but all oh, that you would look in the mirror every single morning of your life. When you wake up, just look in the mirror and say, good morning, Pearl. Because you are a pearl of great price, of such price that the Holy Spirit of Christ has been searching all over the whole world until he finds you. And he says, not even the angels can see it. Not even the angels can see it. Sometimes Jesus finds a life so covered in grime, so in bondage, so under addiction, so under the control of darkness. And he says to the angels, look, look, I found it. I found it. It's a pearl of great price worth all of the treasures of heaven. And sometimes I think the angels are behind Jesus looking at each other saying, oh, yeah, sure it is. But Jesus sees you as a pearl of great price. What about the treasure hidden in the field? Now, listen to this. It says that there was a man who finds a treasure buried in a field. Here's a man who's walking through a, a very dangerous part of some uh, uh, downtown environment. He's out of place. He feels scared. He's trying to get back to his car without getting mugged. He, he's racing across a vacant lot, and he trips over a cinder block and falls. When he falls, he dislodges that cinder block. And when he looks under there, there's a sea chest, old sea chest. And he opens the lid, and inside is a king's ransom. Gold and rubies and diamonds, amethyst, uh, gold doubloons, obviously an ancient Spanish treasure worth millions and millions of king's ransom. This is a very smart businessman. He's a full gospel businessman. He pushes the cinder block in back on top of that sea chest and tamps it down with his foot, looking around to see if anybody saw him. Because he knows that under the code of Georgia, that if he takes that treasure without permission of the owner, that he has taken the mineral rights of the field and he's a thief. So therefore, he just taps the cinder block down and he finds an old for sale sign. So old that it's fallen over. It's riddled with bullet holes and rusted. He gets the number of the, of the real estate salesman and goes to his car and calls him on his cell phone. He says, look, I... I found this vacant lot downtown, and I don't know why, but I just, I've always had a kind of a hidden desire to own some urban real estate. 
I, I, I don't know what it was about that vacant lot. It just touched my heart, and I want to buy that lot. The crafty real estate salesman puts his hand over his phone and says to his secretary, I got a live one here. The man says, how much is that lot worth? The real estate agent says, well, why don't you make me an offer? And he makes an offer so extravagant, the real estate salesman is saying to himself, there's a sucker born every day. They close on the deal, and he takes possession of that field. How many of you know he's not after that vacant lot? How many of you know he's not interested in the dirt? How many of you know there's a treasure buried in that field? That's what he's after. God says, I see beneath all the dirt that's been piled up. Listen, we can pull the dirt in on ourselves. Also, other people can do such horrible things to us that they pour dirt in on us. And we're buried under all that dirt. But God says, I see a treasure in the field. I see a treasure buried in there. <laughs> Many years ago, I was preaching at a certain place. And in the day I, uh, between the services, I looked out the window where I was staying. And in a field across the street, there was a man there. It looked like I, I was raised in the army. And it looked to me like he was doing mine sweeping. He had earphones on and on his hip, a big box and wire came down and it looked like a mind detector. And he's walking in that field with that mind detector. And then all of a sudden he goes like this, throws it down, drops to his knees, pulls out a buoy knife like a crazy man, starts digging in the ground. Finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. I just went over there, climbed over a hedge, went out to him. And I said, now, friend, I'm eaten up with curiosity. What in the world are you doing? He said, this is my hobby. He said, this is a metal detector. He said, this metal detector will tell me that there is something the size of a pop top under eight inches of dirt. He said, I have found many balls from the Civil War, antique relics, coins, all kinds of things. He said, this is my hobby. I said, well, tell me how it works. He said, there's an electronic impulse that bounces up from that object, and then it goes to this box on my hip, through the wire, it comes to my earphones, and what I hear is a, a beep, 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 and it tells me there's something under all that dirt worth digging up. I got on an airplane, flying back from Los Angeles. I had preached my brains out. Four, five, six days, twice a day preaching, I know this doesn't sound real to you, but I'm telling you, you can get to the place where you're so tired, you're preached out, you're prayed out, you're ministered out. You don't want to see anybody else. You don't want to hear another sad story. You don't want to pray with anybody else. You just want to get on the plane and vegetate until you can get back to Atlanta where Jesus lives. And you just... I got on the plane and sat down, and just about that time, coming in the front door was this big fat guy, and he's cussing the blankety-blank flight attendants and the blankety-blank airport, and he's all mad and yelling. He comes in, bonks me in the head with his, with his briefcase, gets in the chair right beside me. When he walked in the door, I said, I know where he's going to sit. I, <laughs> came and sat right beside me, and he starts sucking down Bloody Marys before we can even get the plane off of the tarmac. Eight o'clock in the morning. He's drinking Bloody Marys, cousin and everything. Finally, he looks over at me. I didn't want to talk. I'm not interested. I'm, not, I'm trying to turn to the window. And he turns to me and says, I, I'm not always like this. He said, I don't want to be like this. He said, I just had a horrible weekend. I said, well, 
Okay. <laughs> he said, I flew all the way to California for a big sales deal. He said, the presentation went badly. It fell through. I lost the whole thing. I've wasted the trip out here. Didn't make a single sale. He said, furthermore, my wife and I are having troubles. And then he said, to cap it all off, last night I was in my hotel. My teenage daughter called me. He said, I want to tell you something, mister. He said, I don't know if you're a lapsed Roman Catholic or not, but he said, I am. He said, I haven't been in my Catholic church for 20 years. I haven't been to confession, communion. He said, I, I don't go. I'm not interested. And he said, last night, my teenage daughter called me in the motel and told me that she had gone off to visit at a friend's church, some Protestant church, and she'd gotten born again. He said, I don't even know what that means. He said, what do you think born again means? Beep, 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 beep. The kingdom church. Now listen to this. The kingdom church sees with kingdom eyes. The kingdom church sees underneath all the dirt, sees underneath all the grime. The kingdom church sees the treasure buried in the field. The rest of the world can see. It's no trick to see the dirt. It's no trick to see the dirt. Can you see the treasure? Can you look at the filthiest, most depraved excuse for a human being that could ever walk in this door and say to yourself, there, there's a pearl of great price. There's a treasure buried in that field. There's a treasure. You see, Jesus is not judging humanity right now. He's not judging. The greatest cheerleader the human race has got is Jesus. The guy down on his face in the gutter, under addiction, bondage, alcohol, drugs, depravity of every kind, down on his face in the gutter of the world, and the world and half the church kicking him in the head. But Jesus is down on his knees right beside him saying, come on, son, come on, get up, you can do it, you can do it. Get up one more time. The kingdom church has kingdomized. The kingdom church is in alignment with the spirit of Jesus that can see beneath the dirt, that hears the signal of the Holy Spirit. There's something here worth redeeming. There's a pearl worth buying. There are people that you know. There are people that you know that need the message of the gospel. They need what this church preaches. They need the message that they can hear through your own testimony. I'm always amazed and shocked at Pentecostals who say they have no burden for soul winning. They say, well, I'm a spirit-filled Christian, but I just don't feel led to do soul winning. I've got a word for you. Get led. <laughs> Pentecost is about harvest. It's about harvest. And we can't hire Jensen Franklin to do all the soul winning for us. It's about each one of us. A church that has kingdomized wants in on the kingdom harvest. Somebody say, look, I, I'm burdened for my brother-in-law. He's lost as a ball in high weeds. He's been drunk out of his mind for the last 40 years, lives in a double wide out in the middle of the forest, and nobody cares about him. And I, I'm burdened for him. I'm burdened for him. I said, well, go and speak to him. Present the gospel to him. Ask him if he's born again. He said, well, I'm afraid I'll run him off. He's off. <laughs> you can't run him off her. He's off. Look beneath the dirt that's piled up on that life. 
Look beneath the grime. Look at what's obvious to the world's eyes and see with kingdom eyes. There's a treasure in this field. Say to yourself, I'm either a treasure yet to be discovered or I'm a treasure that has been discovered and is in the process of being cleaned to become a treasure hunter. You're either a treasure yet to be found or you're a treasure that's becoming a treasure hunter. Being a treasure hunter is adventuresome, bold. It's, it's exciting. It's wonderful. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. You, you, you don't, you don't want to, Talk to them. You don't want to deal with them. I understand. You get on that plane. Here's this drunken salesman. He smells like alcohol when he comes in the door. Eight o'clock in the morning, cussing everybody out. I have to tell you, I'm saying, Lord, here am I. Send somebody else. (laughs) But then the Holy Spirit sends that signal. Beep, beep, beep. Beep, beep. Sometimes it's so faint. Sometimes it's so faint. But the kingdom church, filled with kingdom people, say, Lord, make us treasure hunters. Make us treasure hunters. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.